a podcast by Vision Point Marketing. Welcome to Rock and Roll, a podcast on strategic marketing and enrollment management in higher education. You'll learn enrollment marketing and management tips from higher ed experts and marketing insiders so that you can boost your institution's enrollment. In today's episode, you'll hear from Benny Vargas and Josh Dodson as they interview Rock Hall. Rock Hall is a higher education expert with more than 20 years of success in strategic management at institutions such as the University of Utah and the University of Southern California in Los Angeles. Rock Hall is the Vice President of Enrollment Management at Arcadia University. Leaf, is it, is it in Philadelphia? Yeah, we're just north of Philadelphia by 85 miles. Okay. Yep, in blue time. He's very active on social media. He does a lot of great posts. I mean, he's hipper than I am. He's on the TikTok. Well, as mentioned, my name is Rock, Rock Hall, and I've been in higher ed, goodness gracious, north of 20, 23 years. I've worked at a number of institutions, big and small, public and private, east and west coast, north and south. And I've often said experience makes leaders. And so if that's any kind of a rubric to go by, I think I'm doing okay. My formal education was in broadcast journalism. My master's degree is in educational policy, but like all things within the academy, when you start studying one aspect of a certain area of study, in this case, leadership, you know, it kind of takes you down different rabbit holes. For a number of years, I've been on this huge stoicism, you know, kick. And, you know, it was mentioned earlier by Benny, you know, kind of the videos and the TikToks and the things that I make. And a lot of them are along those lines of, you know, you can do it, you know, be the best you. You could make, you know, just looking around the screen, I think you probably all fall into the same age range, you know, give or take. And, you know, my guys as a kid was always, you know, Mr. Rogers and Mr. T. They always had a great message at the end of their show and it always kind of picked me up. So a lot of my ethos of thought and philosophy when I approach those videos and those clips, I make believe that I'm talking to the nine-year-old me. And, you know, if the nine-year-old me was looking at the 48-year-old me, what would he want him to say? And so that kind of guides me in, in, in that direction. I've watched some of the TikToks. I think that's, that's fantastic. We were actually just recently talking about how TikTok has, has actually surpassed Google in number of page views. We were talking about that last time, Dana, I, I think. And so what I'm curious, like, what got you started thinking about trying to do some TikTok videos and kind of what's, you know, how, how has that gone for you so far? Well, you know, the short answer is my job. When I, <laughs> when I was being recruited and vetted, you know, through the conversations, it was kind of um, stressed that, you know, we're in a new age of, of, of marketing. We're in a new age of engagement. We're, we're in a new age within the academy. And, you know, it's one thing to be able to, you know, look at charts and disaggregate data, but it's something completely different to kind of be an all person on the campus and be you know, kind of a front facing, you know, presence, but also at the same time, be able to adhere to the very unsexy paperwork of it all. And so the president, really, really, really good guy, Dr. Jay Naya, he kind of charged me with doing TikToks when I was landing. And, you know, there's some that you will never see. And, and but once I kind of found my rhythm and, and my stride, it got me going, but you're right. It helps us kind of engage more intentionally and more acutely with this uh, generation. A couple of nights ago, I was on a, a Zoom cast with some young people from New Jersey, from the Camden School District, I believe Paramus and some other areas, a really good man by the name of Dr. Latoya Gates, 
he'd be another great one to talk to. He hosted it. And, you know, we talked to the kids, the students. By the end of the night, roughly 10 to 15 students found me on various social media platforms. One on LinkedIn, which was very refreshing. I don't know why high school kids did that, but you know, that engagement, it happens in real time and that's how they kind of approach and talk to you. So I say that I am a reluctant TikToker. You know, what you see is what you get. I'm kind of learning and stumbling through it. Thank goodness my journalism background kicks in, but we are in a new era with these young people. And, you know, like all things, you just have to adapt and try to have as much fun with it while you under TikTok is frankly, it's something that I myself have not done much with. I've only kind of watch some of the videos and like, I think to myself, you know, I, I'm probably not going to do the dances and all of the kind of, <laughs> that's, that's not, that's not kind of my, my vibe, I guess. But you know, like w when you're putting together TikTok videos, how are you thinking about it kind of differently than maybe how you would approach it on other channels? Well, you know, it's funny, man, you know, pressure creates diamonds. It makes you sharp. And there is a science to this and you, you, and I'm learning this in real time. And you think you just kind of show up, turn on the phone, say a few words and that's it, you know, but no, there are, you know, algorithms and rubrics and, and analytics you look at. And if it's a five second clip, what's the hit of, you know, the chance of it getting this many viewers, if it's a 15 or 30 or a minute clip, or if you go over two minutes, chances are you need to inset some picture in picture to keep them locked in. And so once you kind of get the basis of that understood and you have a general framework of that. I think the most important thing, again, you know, being a researcher is content. And, you know, I think the content is the piece of the puzzle. And on any given day, I can go in any direction. Most times, you know, I'm a reader, like all of us, you know, within the academy, we like the long word. And so a lot of it's just from reading books. A lot of it's just from articles. A lot of it's just from things, you know, I shot about eight yesterday and, you know, Coach Flores is in the news. And so I did a quick hit on what it means to be a black executive within higher education. And, and part of it, I noted that it's a very lonely and unstable walk and to be a black professional because we're always in the fray. There is no executive lounge on any campus ever where there's a cluster of black professionals at the executive level. And I said, in addition to that, oftentimes, if you are a black executive at the director, executive director, AVP, VP level, more than likely, you are the only person of color within that unit. And then you have the dubious task to lead them culturally, strategically, tactically to get them to an end goal. And so when I say you're always in the free, that's that tension that I speak of when it comes to black professionals and, you know, to add insult to injury, oftentimes we have to be four times as perfect as everyone else walking into the room. One mistake and that's it. And chances are, if you do make one mistake, not really going to hire you a second time as a VP anywhere else. And so, you know, a lot of it comes from that, that type of thinking, that type of molding. And, and some of it is very light. Some of it is very serious. You know, I think authenticity is important in this. And in a lot of my clips, I make it very known. This is just me speaking. I don't jump cut or jump edit. What I say is what I see in real time. It's edited. That's it. And so, you know, you will see more sophisticated productions out there. But, you know, I think, you know, to a certain degree, to be, off, to be authentic and to just speak to the people, I think is really kind of where you want to be. I'm really curious about digging into one of the, the things you were talking about with kind of what it's like being, as you mentioned, one of the only black executives and kind of in higher ed, sort of at, at your level, like how, how would you describe, I guess, your journey to, to getting there and kind of what it's. What's it felt like and, and, and what's 
what's kept you going and, and kind of kept you being persistent to, to kind of achieve the, obviously you've, you've achieved quite a bit of success, uh, in your current role. So what, what's kind of motivated you to, I, I guess, keep, keep on. Yeah, you know, it's that old axiom that, you know, experience makes leaders. Nothing makes a leader better than bad experience. And so I have been, you know, I've made enough mistakes as a young professional. I think that when I entered executive leadership, I had a full understanding of who I was. And, and that's a bit thick. I mean, you asked a question about black leadership. So I'm going to unpack this from a black, you know, framing. As a first generation student as a student who grew up in a single parent household, as a student who entered college from a, a, a predominantly black neighborhood to a predominantly white institution. There's so much that you have to grapple. And luckily, you know, as an undergraduate, I was at Humboldt State, well now Cal Poly Humboldt, I love that name. And I had some just really good, crazy people over me who just cared about, you know, and. They often sat me down, they redirected me for the first time, you know, I really knew what it was like to have a formal education, you know, at the K-12 level, there's just so much chaos. And, 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 and saying this is not to attack the people in the seats and the people in the rooms. They're doing all that they can with what little they have, but there's so much chaos at the K-12 level within some areas that for a lot of students of color, first generation students of color, they're foyer into, you know, tertiary education, colleges and universities, that's their first formal like introduction into what it means to be curious, what, is, what, what it means to explore. You know, I, I've always said, and, and in one of my other clips, I said this, the beauty about college is that it's the last chance for you to be curious with very little penalty or consequence from society. And also too, you have the ability to surround yourself with four or five like-minded individuals working towards an end goal. A lot of students from first-generation backgrounds, they have so much tugging and pulling and pushing at them within society to be in an arena where there's a certain level of calm. And your only goal is to take this very nebulous concept and whittle it down into a, a digestible framework for us to use. I think it takes a while to retool that thinking. So back to your question much more narrow. From that experience, I um, knew I wanted to work in higher education. They hired me as a tour guide, huge mistake. And I perfected walking backwards within the first three days. And I remember there was a really good man by the name of Buzz Webb, Dr. Buzz Webb. You know, he says, hey, I think you could recruit, you know, and, and we started talking. And from there, though, Buzz, he really set me down. He was a vice president. He said, do you, do you know what it means to be a vice president? You know, and, and this is, you know, I say this lovingly, this is an old crazy white guy, you know, and he says, do you know what it means to be a black president and to have presence? And he really grew at, maybe I was at 20, I don't know, 19. And he really just groomed me and brought me along the way. And so from that standpoint, I just knew I wanted to be a leader. I, I'm a huge fan in self-manifestation. I believe if you speak it into existence, it will happen. I believe that you are what you pretend to be. And you can look through my catalog. 20 years ago, I was walking around campuses wearing suits. And so I always kind of knew I wanted to be that guy. And so I think that's what kept me going because there are definite knocks on the way. At every post, I've made mistakes. At every university, there are things that I kind of went at. But I think time and, you know, intentionality and coaching helps you understand that, that it's supposed to look that way and you're supposed to move in that fashion. So. I think a good level of support, I think, you know, to a certain degree, ignorance is bliss. I had no idea what I couldn't do. And I just kept showing up and knocking on doors, you know. Awesome. 
I love that. Yeah, especially that how you phrased it. It's it's your college is kind of your time to experiment, explore without uh, fear of penalty, if you will. I mean, it's true. It's it's very true. Yeah. yeah, I think that's part of the privilege of of the whole affair as well. It's why why we have to have that opportunity up to folks too. Yeah, I agree, man. I I agree. You know, it's and and especially you know I'm, I'm going to keep going back to the framing of first generation student of color. You know, part of my uh, makeup. It's rare for, you know, a first-generation Black student to receive that type of support without it being cheated. You know, another chapter in my journey, and I probably should have mentioned this, part of my journey for the first time, once I reached the executive level, was to receive executive coaching. And, you know, it was such a foreign concept to me. And I was just offended when it was mentioned to me. And part of it was, you know, a lot of times, Black kids, let's just speak very, you know, Balls and strikes. A lot of times with black kids, when you're in front of a principal, a counselor, a cop, and you're being corrected, it's this. You know, they're pointing at you. Mm-hmm. And it was hard for me to, to separate that. And a really good friend of mine set me down. And he says, man, I, I know you're kind of choked up on this. And he says, you've done nothing wrong, but this is what executives do. They get coaching. He says, you're a former athlete. You know, athletes get coached. And he really kind of helped shake my thinking of it. And he says, hey, man, I'm a white kid from the birds. The first time I sit on the couch, I was nine. This is what we do. He says, take advantage of it. This is a benefit. He says, just talk. And within the first few sessions, within days, within weeks, I just opened up my thing. It just completely shifted what I thought about who I was, how I managed triggers, how I interpreted certain tones and speech. But at the executive level, you need that. You have to be almost dispassionate to a fault and you have to be very fair and equitable to perfection. And again, you have to practice. And, and it's nothing that you can read in the book. It's nothing that you can, you know, glean from watching documentaries. It's really being, you know, that girl or that guy within the arena and walking that walk and being brave enough to be imperfect and transparent and, 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 and being able to get up, you know? So that's kind of where it was, man. And it was just part of that journey. So I think for me in executive leadership, being a first generation college student, it's the totality of the journey from where I was at 15 to where I am right now, you know, and a lot of what I do, I, and, and, and this isn't on social media so much, but when I work with young male groups, you know, I work with them in Utah, I work with them in Los Angeles. I'm, I'm starting to work with them here now in Philly that things are opening up. We have a group called Impact, and Impact is a leadership group for young men of color. And so within those leadership groups, I do, I do talk about the journey and what it, what it means, you know, to have representations. And, and, and so much of that, too, I stress that, you, you know, you have to see mirrors of leadership wherever you walk. And, and a part of me and my role here, you know, when I do see a young, uh, young brother, young sister, you know, I try to be that mirror of leadership that they see and, and that guy that they can come and talk to. You know, it's, it's a heavy lift within higher ed. And if you're a black professional, it's even a heavier left to lead, manage, work with students. And we haven't even begun to talk about the board yet. You know, that was another, how do you do? Within executive leadership is meeting with the board. So, yeah. Sorry, Dana. I know I keep on asking, like jumping in with all the questions. So I think this is really fascinating. One of one of the things that I'm I'm really curious about, and this is something that, you know, even, even a vision point we've talked about, ways that we can do better is, you know, 
when you're when you're encountering other other colleagues and maybe people that maybe just out of pure ignorance just don't don't understand you know the how to to be that mentor to be that coach and really you know how to to help people and and model some of that behavior i mean what you're describing is is exactly right i think i i i think about about you know sort of like the mental models of of how i want to act like you're saying like 20 years ago kind of with the suits and putting that mental model on so that way you can you have a good idea of sort of what to be like how would you or what are some some thoughts maybe on the types of mental models perhaps or think about it in a different way that you would recommend for your colleagues so that they can be equally supportive you know to to people to people like like yourself young young individuals that are are just kind of growing up and, and might not be familiar with with some of the things that the coaching that you've received? Yeah, you know, I would say the biggest piece of any part of success is the ability to stay curious. You know, society will beat you down if you let it. And so your ability to stay curious, your ability to kind of dig deep when things are really great, you know, and, and, and continue to stay the course, I think will aid you in that. Also, a big part of that is, you know, going back to the steward philosophy side of things, you know, read read and journal, you know, look at, you know, Carl Young, you know, understand shadow figure, you know, look at what it means, you know, within certain philosophies of Zoo, Sun Tzu, you know, and, 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 and the art of war, you know, I, I think a lot of that just kind of helps frame it, you know, and, and all of that is to say, and I tell other people this all the time, step out of your head, step out of your head. You know, if you start making too much sense to yourself, chances are you are wrong. You know, you have to, you know, find, find this out anymore, you know, find somebody that, that, that you kind of believe in, you know, with the other people that I mentor, I have this saying that I use when I say, you know, you have to be here and more importantly, you have to be here now, you know, to look back with regret, you know, to, to, to look back with hurt, you're focusing on the pain and not the lesson. And you're either seeking revenge or vengeance. Neither one is going to come to fruition. If you look too long into the future, you're contemplating and worrying about something that may or may not happen that you have no control over. Be here and be here now and be in the immediate. Talk to me as I stand in front of you. I think for a lot of young people, especially when they come from high trauma backgrounds, the ability to mentally drift is a superpower. And I think that it serves you very well at a young age within a certain arena. But as you grow and expand, you have got to adapt and you have got to change because society does not value that the same way you do, and it doesn't age you the same way that it used to. Now, that's a heavier, deeper talk, you know, but that's the kind of conversations I have with my young men uh, when we dive in. And again, just this idea of self and understanding who you are. I think for any leader, the second you have that footing, the second you have that mindset, you'll be okay because things will go wrong. People will not like you. There will never be enough money. So how do you manage all that? Serve your people, because that's what leadership is. It is servitude. It's not titles. It's not people bowing to you. It's servitude. How do you manage all of that and serve the institution? You know, that's the tricky part. You know, and, and I admit it's not for everybody. Leadership is a lonely, unstable walk. And, you know, God bless you if you're crazy enough to answer the call. You know, and, and just try to help and make things better. That's, that, that's great. And the insights that you just shared with us about, you know, what it, what it takes to connect with first generation students, it just students from under underrepresented groups, as we euphemistically say in general, is 
is, is really, uh, really valuable. I guess when you, there's been a lot of talk in higher ed recently about how we just need, these are the groups that we absolutely need to be recruiting. These are the future of enrollment because of demographics and uh, so on and so forth. What mistakes do you see being made by institutions in their outreach, in their marketing, in their enrollment, a pursuit of students, students from these groups? Yeah, you know, I, I think something that was once lauded in the past might be vilified or at minimum just kind of squinted at in the future. And that goes for, you know, ideology, laws, or no fashion. Hey, so I, I think, you know, to, to, to your question, I think that universities, rightfully so, at one time, they focused very much on the individual. You know, going back to those sayings, it's one student at a time. That's how we recruit. And now I think very much so we have to look at structure. At the start of Black History Month, I posted a clip and I used the analogy, crabs in a barrel. Have you guys ever heard that analogy before? It, it, it's, a, it, it's a pejorative term used to describe African-Americans and our inability to work together. And within that clip, I basically explained that throughout history, we've been taught to look so much at the crabs, we're not paying attention to the barrel. You never hear about, you know, crabs floating gingerly at sea. You never hear about crabs basking along the beach shore fronts of Ibiza. You always hear about the crabs in the barrel. Let's start looking at the barrel. The barrel is the problem. That's the pressure cooking. That's the inner city. That's where the kids don't have resources. And so I think a lot of times early on, and again, no fault. You know, I can't look 20 years back and judge them by today's standard. There was too much of that going on. And I said it. But I think as we evolve and as we grow and as we get better, as we become better, we understand now we not only have to focus on the students, but the environments in which they live and where they come from. Our ability to understand that, our ability to be multidirectional, our ability to be pluralistic in stance and approach will benefit us. And so it's tricky because it's a bit of a land grab right now. You know, NACAC, you know, changed a lot of rules. The Department of Education changed a lot of rules. I, I don't think that we're in a state of declension, but this is very much the wild, wild west right now when it comes to students. And my greatest fear is that in this frenzy, we might go the way of, you know, campgrounds, cruise ships, and other, you know, industries that kind of just didn't keep up with the time. I think there's a smarter way to work with students. I think there's a smarter way to build populations. And, and I think there's a, a better way to reach targets and work within your area. You know, we're a very small engine. We don't have the, the brand or the name or, or maybe some of the money as some of our larger schools around us, but our ability to work our ground game and connect with people, that's our bread and butter. And so I tell my team, you know, let's start looking a bit more at that barrel as we work with these young people that are maybe behind the eight ball to a certain degree and better understand how we can help them out. And I think that sincerity comes through. And, and the fact that, you know, young people and, and families of first generation people, the fact that they feel like they're being heard, the fact that they feel like they're being listened to and not talked at, I think that is just a game changer uh, when it comes to, you know, relations and, and building those populations. So, yeah. One, one thought on that, you know, a lot of times the institutions are, as, as Dana mentioned, you are kind of struggling or, 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 or frantically trying to kind of figure out what that, that magic, you know, thing to do might be. And it, it sounds like, you know, one of the, the, one of the key things that, that you're describing sounds like just listening is is 
you know, kind of just being able to kind of step back and, and rather than assume that, you know, we know what's right for everyone and it, uh, everyone fits the exact same mold, listening to the needs of the community, listening to the, the people that, that are kind of within that, that group that, that they might be targeting. You know, I've, we've worked a lot with first generation students at, at some of the schools that I've worked at. And I mean, it's, it's amazing, you know, because there's so much there. It's a lot, there's a lot of rich conversation. You can learn a lot about their lives in, in, by doing so, you're also able to identify the areas that they don't know about that, you know, it's sort of like, this is, this is something like, here's a resource or a path that, that they need to do. And, and they've never been exposed to it before. So, you know, giving them that information is, is crucial at that point. Yeah, it's, that's so true, man. I was a, a young kid many moons ago, and I had this really cool teacher named Mrs. Mary Chinello, and she was such a nice lady. She was a tree hugger, you know, she just loved life and, you know, smelled like the truly. She was just a fun person to be around. And she was just an avid, avid reader. And I had her for, I was in uh, my freshman year. I was a first gen kid. I was in remediation English. I was in English 50. And I was turning in these papers and they were all over the place. They were just all over the place, you know. And so she sent me down one day and she says, hey, you know, I see something here. She says, I think we have something to say, but you like this. She says, you know what makes a, a good writer? And I said, no, nah, I really don't. She says, you have to be a good reader. She says, you have to understand how words look on paper. You have to understand, you know, the, 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 the cadence of writing and what it means to, you know, exercise yourself through a long read and, and shake it off. And she says, I think if you start to do that, you'll become a good writer. And she says, I'm not going to throw Shakespeare at you, but here's a book. And she gave me a graphic novel. Mm -hmm. And I read that graphic novel from start to finish. And like two days later, I saw her in the, every campus has a uh, cafe. I saw her in the cafe and. I gave her the novel back and we talked about it. She says, no, you keep it. But every month I'm going to give you a different book and we're going to scale it up, scale it up, scale it up. So within a very short window of time, I'm actually reading like Byron Leather novels now, going from comic books, all within my freshman year. And then by my sophomore year, I was ready to go into regular English and just pursue and keep up with the rest of the class. But like you said, those people who listen and notice and take notice in action they make the difference, you know, and I'm sure like all of us, we all have stories of that cool gal or guy who just kind of saw a kid floundering about and said, what in the hell is going on? It's, you know, let me talk to you, kid. And, and just really care, you know, and I think a lot of that just makes a difference in a kid's life. And, and again, you know, my guys were Mr. Rogers and Mr. T and I really tried to live that life. Absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've got a, you know, I've got one of those, I actually, I can name a couple people that have influenced me where I think if it wasn't for them, if it wasn't for their mentorship and their, the things that they passed along to me, you know, I wouldn't be where I'm at. You know, I, I would, I don't know where I would be, but it wouldn't be here. And I, I think, you know, that, that definitely seems to be, I would imagine probably everyone on this call can point to a couple people and, and it, it, in so many ways that makes such a big, a big difference in, in terms of just kind of providing access, providing opportunities and, and, um, and just some direction on that. Um, the world isn't short on talent, it's short on opportunity. Yeah. It, it, it seems like, you know, one potential area of encouragement maybe that we might, we might think to give, give people who are, you know, who, who listen to the podcast is, you know, to be willing to become that mentor themselves. Right. And, and, and to actively look for opportunities to, 
You know, that doesn't mean you have to spend tons of time with someone, but just giving a little direction, kind of spinning a, a bit, you know, some tips here and there. I mean, I think a little can go a long way when it comes to, to stuff like that. Five minutes a day, a few kind words in passing. We have no idea how you can impact the person. You know, I've talked to people years later and they say, hey, you remember when I saw you there and yada, yada, and, and half the time I kind of don't look, oh yeah, you know, hey man, you said X, Y, and Z and, and just, hey, for what it's worth it, you know? And so like you said, you know, going back to, you know, stoic philosophy, you know, momentum more on and, and, and knowing that, you know, the end will come eventually. So every day and every moment and every second, simply be good. And, and that's how I sign off for my TikToks. Be good. I always say be good. And, and even that was a bit of a curve for me. A quick uh, story, another quick story. Uh, really, another great guy, man, named Dan Collins. You know, he always said, hey, be good. You know, you know. And again, going back to that first generation framing, I always took it like as an order. Like, you better not do nothing. You know, you better be good, you know. And it wasn't until much later in life when I started studying Stoic philosophy where I understood what that term really meant. It means, just, it, it means to move with action and purpose to benefit others. Be good. It was more of a wish, not a directive. But again, it took me time to have to learn how to re-listen to that and, and develop it. So yeah, life is brief. It is short. Man, always, always, always try to be good. Even when you're less than perfect and you make a mistake, be good and just make it better. You know, that's all you can do. Absolutely. Love that. Well, I, I relate with so much or identify with so much of what uh, you shared today. Being a first-gen student to a single parent coming from a community uh, that was the least diverse in the United States because it's 90 plus percent Hispanic and going off to a white liberal college and kind of experiencing that culture shock and but then seeing all the opportunities and doors that were opened as a result of taking that leap out. I just applaud you for the work you're doing. I, I think you're very inspirational and you're definitely helping a lot of young males or different people that you're working with just by being you. So absolutely. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Well, actually, I know, I know we're almost up on time, but I just had kind of one, cause something you just said really resonated with me that, you know, you mentioned how you never know what that communication is to someone that can change, change everything for them, or at least help them, you know, it's at that point in the journey that they're on. We talk a lot about scale now in higher education. We talk about being able to utilize technology and all that. How do we maintain those connections? How do we maintain those, those important human connections with folks at scale now over technology and so forth? You know, to be honest, that, that's, you know, that's the part I'm trying to figure out, you know, going back to the social media stuff, a buddy of mine in LA, he does this stuff and so he's really good. So he's kind of coaching me and he says, well, right now, man, just think of it, you know, you're in your underground mixtape phase. He says, so just keep putting stuff out. Some's going to be really good. Some's going to be really crappy. But just keep putting it out. And he says, you're going to hit a rhythm really soon to where you're going to know how things sound and look and feel. And he says, you're going to understand how to better layer it. And I think right now within the higher ed, all of us are within that growing, you know, and God bless the, the, the uh, digital natives that we just hired from college, who know, it much better than we do. But, you know, we're still trying to understand how to keep that engagement piece up. You know, we took a dual approach this year. Last year, we were looking at what went right, what went wrong. And. Last year, you know, our parent engagement, it just could have been better. And so this year we started looking at parent engagement and we found that parents, you know, because again, our kids are digital natives, but we are that generation. We grew up playing Atari 2600, Nintendo, you know, we still love Bruce Lee movies on the Wu-Tang Clan. And so we understand now that even digital engagement hits parents, you know, they're checking TikTok, they're checking, you know, more than just LinkedIn. And so 
you know, we're figuring that out. If you would be kind enough to call me a year from now, I would try to have a better qualified answer. Right. <laughs> we're still, we're still trying to work on it, man. Yeah. I think it's, I think that's going to be the challenge of our decade, certainly. So that's yeah. it changing so quick. It changes, yeah, you know, exactly. Um, what was it? MySpace, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, you know, it, it moves so fast. Yes. What, what are some, you know, some things, you know, given, given some of the, the changes and some of what we've seen, you know, there was some, some data that was recently released. I'm thinking about data from the common app that there was an increase in applications for specifically for, um, first generation, uh, students and, uh, minority students that, that actually had an increase in applications this year, um, compared to previous years. And, and, you know, seeing that it, it seemed like it's, it's it really encouraging that, you know, there, that, that seems to be happening, that there's a trend there, you know, what, what are some things that you might recommend that, or, or some areas maybe that you're, you yourself are focusing on as you're thinking about enrollment at your school and are there pieces like that or anything else maybe that, that excite you that you're like, I'm, this is a really cool thing that we're doing for this. Yeah. You know, you said it best, you know, I'm really happy that the thaw is continuing to occur. And when I say thaw, you know, the, the, the COVID thaw, mm -hmm. meaning that we're getting back in person, we're starting to engage, you know, going back to your technology question, Dana, you know, we thought that technology would be a main lever to like, you know, shift tides and rise ships. Case in point, everyone applauded themselves when we kind of, you know, got away from the SAT and the ACT. We all thought, oh, you know, it's a gatekeeper. Ba -da -da -da. The conventional thought was that a flood, a tidal wave of students who were disadvantaged before would just come crawling over the hills. And that didn't happen. What we noticed was, you know, the current student population, they were still there, but they were just moving and walking and talking in different ways. That kid that might've had a 3.7 with, let's say maybe a 950 SAT. Well, now they're gonna shoot their shot at Pitt. They're gonna shoot their shot at USC and UCLA and all those great schools. And so, for smaller, more boutique schools like us, we know that that's going to roll on some of our traditional, you know, market and, and take some of our, you know, milk money and, 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 you know, our coin. And so we have to try to better understand what we have to do to work within those certain areas to, to create engagement spaces or, or spaces of, of engagement. And so the SAT, ACT thing really didn't have much of an impact as far as getting more students in. But this thaw post-COVID, we're seeing kids, you think about it for the last two years. If you were in sixth grade, you missed seventh and eighth grade. If you were in ninth grade, you're waking up a junior. If you were junior, you're waking up a freshman in college. And so we are seeing a bit of a hunger for students just to come back into the fold. You know, we've had a handful of on-campus events. And, and this year, for the first time, we, did our, we, we hosted some fall events, fall admitted student events. I think I mentioned you have to be first out the gate. And so we had some fall student, admitted student events, and they were well attended. They were within the graduate space, the undergraduate space. We've been having more on-campus events and people are showing up. We have a program on the 21st and we're being responsible. Uh, I, 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 I should have led with that. We have a COVID safety team. We have protocols in place. We are following all of that. And for each event, we are kind of given a certain capacity. And so far we have been hitting capacity at each and every program. So I think it's just an indicator, another piece of the puzzle, not, not, not the magic bullet, but another piece of the puzzle to kind of let us know, I think we're moving in the right direction.
You know, I'm I'm glad you bring that up. Sorry, if we need to squeeze one more in here. Uh, just super. I'm curious. Side. It's all good, man. Oh no. Okay. So just you know. Okay. So hopefully this thaw is happening, as you put it. I love that analogy because I think that's exactly right. We're coming out of COVID in stages, and it's it's a process, right? It's not like a, a jump off point. But what are some things? What are some tactics? What are some ideas? Concepts? What have you in in this area where that really emerged during COVID that we need to keep going? And you know, maybe that kind of fell by the wayside during COVID and. Maybe we just need to leave them there as it were. Well, I, you know, th th this might be bad business or slightly unsexy, but from a leadership standpoint, hybrid work is here to stay. I, <laughs> I, I have listened to my team. They have uh, taught me and I am better for it. And so I think hybrid work is here to stay, you know, well, back in the student side. I, I think as far as trends, you know, I think that, that the need for in-person engagement, you know, when we talk about that. I think, you know, earlier we talked about the whole crabs in the barrel analogy, that structure. I know within my backyard, and I'm sure a lot of people's backyards where they are, within Philadelphia, there's a lot of turnover and chaos at the, at the K-12 level. And so I know, like, I've met before with some of the SEPSI presidents. We've had conversations about what we can do as a group of schools to kind of augment and help, you know, those conversations are taking place, you know. That's one trend I think that hopefully as the thaw continues to roll out and move forward, we'll get better. They are incredibly understaffed at the K-12 level. And, you know, if any of you guys play poker, you can only play the hand that you're dealt. And so if there are gaps and attrition at K-12, well, that means there's fewer students at the tertiary level. And again, with all bets being off, we're fighting more doggishly for the few students that exist. We have to get back to the barrel, go back to the barrel at the K-12 level and look at that. I think if we have a healthy pool of, you know, intellectually curious young people, there'll be enough for all of us to continue to do good work. But right now, I think we're really hurting ourselves by not really better understanding the, 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 the urgency within a secondary schools right now, primary and sec well, not primary, but secondary schools right now and, and what's needed. And so that trend continues, you know. I think there's going to be gaps in maturity with young people. You know, again, the rich is fine. The, you know, and when I say rich, if you're, oh goodness, if you're above 95, 100,000, whatever, you're doing fine. Your kid's fine. My kid's fine. Chances are all of your kids are fine. We're talking about the kids who have a single mom, a kid whose single mom works three or four jobs. The development is going to be very skewed with that younger person. They're going to be forced to go into more of a survivor mode. They're going to be forced to go into more of a reactionary mode. And again, within that very finite window in that arena, that's needed. But when they get to the college level, that will hold them back. And so I think that gap that's widening was with respect to with development. You know, you need guys like me, guys like Benny, guys like you too, Josh and Dana, to reach out to these young people. I hear you, man. I, I know. Things are messed up right now. I get it. Sit down. Let's talk. You know, you guys notice in my office, I have a chessboard and I have my office hours. Every Thursday or Friday, and when the kids come in, want to play chess and just talk. There's no agenda. I'm not preaching at them. You know, if they say something, well, this is a podcast. If they say something that's fucked up, I'm like, yeah, man, I get you. I understand it is. But it's not always going to be that way. Let me try to explain to you why. You know, and I think that's where the engagement comes in. You know, the trend is, man. These kids need help, brother. They need help, man. Yeah, it, it, it seems like that is the pattern that we're observing too, that institutions that are serving the served seem to be doing just fine. Institutions that have been a bit more 
we'll, we'll just say mission driven seem to be kind of tackling these challenges more and so it's really unfortunate, but yeah, no, a hundred, hundred percent with you as well. Just about it just, just this, this separation that we saw. I mean, I feel like COVID in so many ways, it, it didn't, it, it really didn't cause any of these problems. It just sped no. up, just sped up a whole bunch of trends, you know? Yeah, and, you know, well, you, you know, the, uh, the, the cliff happened before COVID people thought there, there was going to be this enrollment cliff. You know, I love projections. They're just educated guesses. So everyone thought this, you know, the enrollment cliff was going to happen in 2025 surprise 2019. It dropped. Oh, and a few months later, 2020, Rona popped up. And so, yeah, you know, I think we were already an industry that was being forced to look at ourselves. I think COVID really made us do a hard stop and pivot to look at ourselves. We didn't realize we had dual capabilities. We didn't realize we had the ability to go hybrid and work remote. We had no idea that productivity probably could be fairly high from your living room couch if you really lock in and you have good leadership. And so, you know, Again, like I tell my young man, if you focus on the hurt and the pain, you will never grow. If you focus on the lesson, how quickly you will get up and you better get up and pivot and keep moving. I know, I know you're a, a student of stoicism and I know that, you know, the concept of the obstacle being the way, the obstacle yeah. being the path and all. It's interesting to me how those tenets really resonate in a lot of other cultures too. I was reading, I was reading some poetry by Rumi the other day, mystic poet. And yeah, he, uh, the way he had said, it, it's very similar kind of concept of the answer to the pain lies within the pain. It is. And it just, to me, it's a very kind of similar, similar concept there. And, uh, or Bernie Brown, you know, you, you have to sit in failure. When she said that, I love that. You know, if you guys are geeks like me, last night on Boba Fett, Luke came back with Rogu, and he was teaching Rogu the way of the force. It's everywhere. <laughs> if you guys haven't seen that episode, it's fantastic. Not yet. Uh, Not yet. We were talking about it earlier today in our Pulse meeting. Uh, yeah, Luke's face. Oh, I love it. Anyway, I'm going to drift from the podcast. So, you know, 2022 is, is still kind of new. When you're looking at, ahead at kind of the rest of the year and, and kind of the upcoming year, like, where are you putting your focus right now? Man, you know, it's, you know, leadership, again, it's that lonely walk and you have people pull and tug and push and, and, you know, you, you have to try to be as centered as possible. And again, almost dispassionate to a fall. My hope is multi-directional. My hope is that I keep my team intact. You know, we've slowed down turnover. We went through a final round of hiring recently. We think they're going to stick. You know, part of my vision, I have to keep the board happy. You know, I'm on three board committees. We met this morning and, you know, whew, you have to leave with a charm offensive, especially if things aren't shaking out the way you want them to. Part of me is working more broadly with the campus community, understanding the workflow. You know, where are the stop gaps? You know, we're working on increasing retention and yield and, and, you know, really keeping our students here. And I think the biggest piece of that puzzle is the students, you know, how are our students being treated? How are they being received? You know, from faculty, staff and students, you know, from, you know, us guys with the suits and us gals in the suits that push buttons down to the really good folk that really run the shop and, and make sure that everything goes as it should. And so, you know, leadership, it's, 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 it's 24 seven, it's never ending it. And I have my eye on a couple of things, but you know, I have a fantastic team here. I really feel that we're moving in the right direction. And our, you know, internal slogan is a so far, so good. So every, every Wednesday when we say so far, so it's been that way so far. That's awesome. I feel like there's probably a lot of 
things that we could keep talking about, but I, I, we've, we've covered so much already. And I know I recognize we're, we're kind of coming up on time. I've, I've probably already gone past the amount that we've scheduled. I'm more than happy to come back, man. You know, I'm, I'm more than happy to come back and, uh, you know, just talk shop. I like this. Yeah. Absolutely. I'll also, I, in addition to being inspirational, man, you've given me office goals. This is great. Are you, I mean, I've seen, I've seen pictures on the website. Are you in the, are you in the castle? Like are you in one yeah. of the castle? Ah. Yeah. Right. I'm like in the, the, the right rotunda, you know, it's, it's kind of cool actually. And oh, it's a good space, man. You know, kids like it. Yeah. It's it's little, thing down, you know, makes them feel a little special, you know? I mean, I, I think there is something to be said for being, being on a campus that feels like a movie set of college. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's something to be said for that. Well, I think Creed 2, part of Creed 2 was shot here, and I think part of the Hulk was shot here. There's a couple movies in these hollowed halls, you know, that were shot here. Yeah, very cool. Well, we appreciate it. Great conversation. Have a great rest of your day, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, fellas. Take care. Cheers. Cheers.